Hey, it's Nelva Medora. Here's five awesome things in the swipe format, which is swipe, wisdom, interesting picture, and editorial. So look at all the wine I have in this picture. It's basically a picture of a wine rack at a store. There's all these different type of red wines. And so what's the difference in all of these? Well, when it comes to wine, there's very little product differentiation. I know some wines are like a little bit better tasting and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, if you just ask anyone off the street to compare all these different 20 wines, they probably won't have that much of a difference other than uh, they're all kind of the same level of red wine. So when it comes to wine, the main product differentiation is personal preference, bottle placement, brand name, brand story, and the label. It's an entire industry based off of marketing and distribution and exclusivity. And so while there are slight variations in wine here and there, ultimately the product is very similar and marketing a wine is all about marketing. In fact, I've been a consultant with many wineries and what I learned was that some of these bigger wineries will dump over a hundred million dollars worth of perfectly good wine out just to maintain the exclusivity and price of their wine. So if they flood the market with, you know, 10,000 more bottles than normal, then the price comes down basic economics over there. Right? So they have to get rid of this wine or do clever tricks, like sell it to companies that give it away, but they don't charge for it, but they're giving it away as gifts. There's all these weird things that these companies do. And it kind of leads me to believe that, uh, all of wine is just marketing. So whenever you go to a winery, they talk about the wine. It's all kind of the same stuff as the winery down the road. The only difference is the uh, your personal preference, like a uh, resonance with their brand, their story. So maybe they have like a famous founder or it's a specific plot of land that has a story on it or basically at the store where the bottles placed and the label and the price. That's how they compete. Kind of interesting, huh? Here's a piece of wisdom. So the definition of millionaire is changing. So in 1913, a millionaire, like if someone was like, whoa, you're a millionaire. It was a really, really crazy thing to see someone like that. Cause it meant you had the equivalent of nowadays about $30 million in today's purchasing power. So right now someone with a million dollars is technically a millionaire, but it's not quite as crazy as someone who's worth $30 million. So back in the day when they'd say the word millionaire, when it originated, that's what it meant, roughly $30 million. So being a millionaire back then meant like you're just set for life. You have kind of generational wealth and it's unlikely you'll go broke unless you're really stupid about your money. But now you can barely buy a two bedroom apartment, in a high cost of living city, such as New York City or San Francisco with a million dollars. So inflation has done to the purchasing power of $1 million, a great disservice. And uh, it, it's kind of wild to look at this chart that in 1913, a, a million dollars was about 30 million of our today's purchasing power. And now today you can't really buy too much of it, at least in a high cost of living city. So those are some cool numbers and it's, it's, it's interesting to look at. So inflation steadily marches forward all the time. And that itself is not a huge problem because actually a little bit of inflation encourages people to invest and respend their money. Whereas if there's no inflation, you could just exactly keep your money where it is and it stays exactly the same. Therefore, people are not encouraged to spend a little bit. So I get it. Inflation targeted at about 2% a year is the globally recognized kind of like standard that you should look for. However, lately that number has been way higher. And there's also this kind of risk of hyperinflation in the United States and other places. In fact, it's happened in many other countries. There's no reason it can't happen here. So instead of the decades eroding your dollars, you know, losing purchasing power, right? We're talking about purchasing power from 1913 to 2020. This is a long time. Everyone in 1913 is dead by now for the most part. So it's not, oh, okay, it's like, who cares? But in some cases, there has been hyperinflation. And everyone in the country 
becomes a millionaire technically, but it no longer means they are rich. So for example, in Turkey, they have been experiencing very rapid inflation in the last few years. And $60,000 US makes you a millionaire in Turkish lira. And in Argentina, $8,000 US makes you a millionaire in their own local currency. In Zimbabwe, $3,000 US makes you a quote unquote millionaire. And th this gets even crazier. In Sudan, $200 makes you a millionaire in their local currency. And then in Venezuela, Bolivars, $2 US is a million. <laughs> that means if you buy like a pack of gum from the store, you're like, oh, that's a, a million, whatever. <laughs> so it, it's just kind of crazy. So if you own assets that move up with inflation, you are somewhat protected from inflation. Um, unfortunately, the poorest people often don't have this and the richest people do. So you'll probably see that divide go up. And things that often go up as inflation goes up are stocks, prices of home, specifically homes with land, and then businesses that can raise prices. So my personal protect from inflation kit is relatively simple. It's just stocks that run the bare metal of the internet for the most part, such as Google, Amazon, Apple. So just a handful of stocks, some crypto that the big names, Bitcoin and Ethereum, that's it. Um, a hard asset. So I own a house and I would like to buy a rental at some point when the market goes down and then own several pieces of businesses. So businesses can raise their, their prices or get more customers. They can keep up with inflation, right? They're not just stuck. Also holding an S&P fund, meaning going long on just the United States, such as VOO, which is you know commonly what Warren Buffett tells to buy. Um, I hold a China S&P 500 fund because I'm long on China, MCHI. And then the trick for this, don't sell for 10 plus years. In fact, maybe just don't sell for decades. Um, most people get into trouble when they do day trading. I actually wrote a podcast. If you go to copywritingcourse.com slash podcast, I tell my day trading story and how to kind of avoid that. And it's pretty simple to avoid it. Anyways, check that out. Let's move on. Here's something interesting. So putting out words on the internet has provided basically 100% of my income, connected with me, all my best friends, has made me a constant stream of new friends. It gives me feedback on thoughts quickly. It amplifies my voice at scale. It gives me inbound sales and it gives me community. So when I first started posting online, there was this definite distinction between online and offline. And it was, it was very apparent that this was so because you would frequently log on and log offline. It was difficult to get on the internet. You had to have all sorts of things go right to get on the internet. Now with the phone, you never log online or offline. There's no such thing as that anymore. You're just, you're just online. So we don't log off the internet ever. And the internet is such a part of our lives that I no longer believe in online versus offline. So they say like a lot of people meet their, uh, their spouse or whatever online versus offline. It's like the, the numbers are like 50, 50. It's like, okay, that's just a way of meeting now. Like there's, I don't think there should be this distinction of online versus on offline anymore. So for example, there's no, no one says like, I went online for a restaurant review. It's just a restaurant review. People just assume it was like at least partially found online. Or there's no like, we met online, it's just meeting. Or there's no, I took an online class, it's just a class. So I think online and offline are just already merged in life. And that's pretty neat. Uh, here's a fun picture. So speaking of merging online and offline, I hosted a Twitter party yesterday to meet people I follow on Twitter and it went off great. And so it's essentially all these people I follow on Twitter and uh, interact with on occasion. And a lot of them I haven't met and I noticed a lot of them live in Austin. So I said, hey, you know, theoretically, if I held a party, would you come? So uh, it was really fun. And my friend, Nick Gray, who's a great party, I call him a party conductor, but he calls himself a party host. He helped co-host the party. 
And he had this interesting idea that later, like halfway in the party, we'll move everyone to the VIP room, AKA my office, which is kind of hilarious. And we had this experience a couple of times before where people would break off from the main party in my house and go to just my office, just, you know, down the hallway and hang out. And it was kind of like a different vibe. And so what we did was we all took a field trip halfway through the party and moved into my office. Now there's, I don't know, 20 plus people in there and my office is built for, you know, me and maybe a few other people. And so it was kind of sitting room only for the most part. And for whatever reason, this segment of the meetup was everyone's favorite. We went around and shared like what you learned on Twitter. Like, you know, there's some prompt that we did and it was kind of fun because it was like a different room. It felt like we were at a different party and now we're at this party. And then uh, everyone was very close. I think just like that feeling of closeness and then everyone was sitting on the ground. So it felt informal. It was just really, really fun. And it was a fun time meeting up with all these uh, Twitter people, IRL, in real life. Um, here's a quick editorial piece that we just did. And we said, what do you think copywriting means? And I've always been interested in hearing what people say because some people say it's the written word. Some people say the written word plus video. And we got some fascinating answers. So I'm gonna read a couple of good ones and then you can read on the post like hundreds of other ones. So it says copywriting is the transference of ideas in the most succinct, relatable way to your audience. Trevor, okay, cool. Uh, Mason said copywriting is selling better online. All right, short and to the point. Kathy said copywriting is learning how to hotwire your product into your customer's heartstrings. I was like, oh, interesting. I never heard it put like that. Um, John said, copywriting teaches you to catch people's attention and convince them to buy your product. And this one, <laughs> I know it's kind of silly, but Michael said, copywriting is word money. <laughs> and I just, I was just like, I never, uh, I never thought of it in that way. So the way I frequently describe copywriting to people, uh, is copywriting is transferring information from my brain into your brain in the most efficient way possible, whether that's text, video, or in the future, VR, whatever. And so I often say copywriting is transferring information from my brain to your brain or my brain to a million brains. And I'll use whatever medium is best. So the original definition of copywriting was back in the day when the technology was just writing. That's the only way you can transfer information into people's brains at scale. But nowadays we've got, you know, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, video, Pinterest, pictures, um, so software, all sorts of different ways. And so I'm impartial to the way that it imprints stuff into your brain rather than I care about the message going into your brain. And that's the main thing. So that's the way I view copywriting, but it's interesting to read hundreds of more responses to the question. So uh, if you want to check it out, you go to copywritingcourse.com slash blog slash 99, and it'll bring you to that post. Anyways, my name is Neville Medora. I hope you got a lot out of this and I will talk to you later.